Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Comics Fondle podcast for February 2014. My name is Andrew Wycliffe, and my blog is comicsfondle.com, and I have with me here... Mr. Vernon Wiley, proud proprietor of the Comics Gallery, a uh, fine comic retailing establishment on the North Shore of Chicago, Illinois. And this is our uh, mostly monthly podcast where we talk about the latest in comics, sort of, and... uh, Lots of uh, old stuff and new stuff and sometimes TV stuff and movie stuff and really just whatever we can think of that has to do with comics. Um, This week I wanted to start out with some C2E2 news because we're going to be at C2E2. Yeah, we'll be there hunting everybody. It's going to be an event. We're going to have a uh, podcast-related event, which uh, we've talked about a little, but we've ironed out some of the details and... uh, we're going to be out and about on the floor, and uh, we don't have the T-shirt yet, and maybe we'll show it to you somehow once we have it figured out. But if you see us, you, you, you can enter for a prize or some such thing. We haven't decided yet. And um, we're, we're, out, we we're out on the floor. Yeah, we're out on the floor to make as many friends as we can. So if you see us out there, say hello, and uh, you know maybe we'll maybe we'll treat you nice while we see you or something. Well, and let's not forget, you know, even if you don't get a prize, we are going to be podcasting straight from the floor. So we're going to be uploading uh, mini episodes throughout the day. Uh, So I guess you're going to be able to, we haven't figured out all the technology yet, but you should be able to subscribe to the, either to the podcast itself or uh, probably the podcast itself, and then I'll clean yeah. it up later. So you'll you'll be able to take your smartphone and see the QR code and and the best so, the best thing yeah the best thing is to watch it like a couple times during the day to see the unedited footage before Andrew uh, gets a chance to make it tasteful at the end of the evening. yeah before <laughs> I have a chance to clean it up at the end of every, at the end of the weekend. So yeah, that's going to be pretty cool. We're going to be there all three days and. Uh, We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll try not to hassle to too many professionals is, is yeah, how yeah, we're we thinking want, it. Yeah, we don't want to get kicked out, but we do want to have fun, you know, and we want to meet you and find out about what makes comics fans tick and why are you at C2E2 and what brings you into this community, basically. That's going to be part of our fun there. Yeah. But uh, there's uh, been so much stuff and uh, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be out there. We're going to have a good time and we just uh, want to make it one big party. So please join us when you see us on the floor. All right, let's see. So you've been reading a lot of comic books lately, have you not? I have been reading a lot of comic books lately. I've read, uh, let's see, I've been working my way through, uh, I started the Bruce Jones Hulk from about 10 years ago, which of course is a much maligned uh, period <laughs> of the Hulk, which, I, you know, I found very That's interesting. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> it. You know, it's a nice way to put it. People hated it. Uh, not quite as much as they hated Chuck Austin when he was doing stuff at at Marvel, but they hated uh, the Hulk. And you had a funny comment about the covers, which I didn't even think about because you know the, the covers have absolutely nothing to do with the story inside, and they're all like high concept art by right. Andrews for the most part. He's going to be doing the new uh, Iron Fist book coming out pretty soon, but uh, they're all just weird, bizarro things like. One looks like a cereal box, and another one looks like a uh, Norman Rockwell painting. And uh, oh, we keep pausing. Well, we don't keep pausing the recording, Vernon. So yeah, don't you sorry. Ha <laughs> ha. My 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 virgin experience here, but uh, anyway, uh, 
you know, they're just bizarro covers from the early uh, days of Joe Casada when just about anything that was cool flew at Marvel. Yeah. So I've been reading those and it's, it's been a bumpy ride, a, a, a rewarding bumpy ride. And, but I've also been reading a lot of new stuff, obviously. And, um, that, that brings us into, I think I just want to open with furious because we talked it's about the, it a little. And the most une- unexpected book. Really, it's a very, really, really yeah. And it's different this issue than it was the first issue. And it's, um, the guy's name who writes it is, I believe Brian JL glass is what I want to okay. say. And right. I know the art is Victor Santos. Let me, let me get this guy's name, right? Cause I'm a bastard. Cause he retweeted my, uh, my review of the second issue today. And I feel like a bastard for not having it right. So let me, let me make sure. Oh, sorry about I that. Yeah, cause I, had, I, I didn't read your review cause I hadn't read the comic yet. And I'd read the second issue today while I was at the shop and it was just like, Wow. I mean, you, you go into a comic with a certain amount of expectations in the first issue. Uh, I think in one of your earlier reviews, you posted about how the comic really had its origins in kind of sensationalist type of story with uh, not, was it Kardashian type attitude? Lindsay Lohan. It's Lindsay like... Lohan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it just kind of outgrows those expectations. It does. And... She's a genuinely psychotic being. With, she, uh, yeah, your your protagonist problems. is a violent psychopath. Um, but, you know, Glass is able to make all these. The thing I noticed about this one is, is that. There are I don't I, I commented on it in my in my in my blog post, but I did not use the uh, comparison that I'm about to. He He's looking at sort of misogyny in comic books because he's got all these um, the opening couple pages have sort of a mixed media thing where he's showing the TV report. He's showing what her reaction to seeing herself on TV is, but then he's also showing like a Twitter stream without of course using Twitter. And it's these guys talking about like how she's hot or something. And I'm, it, it made me think about, remember Oh, I, it was a Jeff Johns, Superman, Batman, or no, it was a Jeff, was it a Jeff Loeb, where in the mid-aughts, uh, so about 2005, DC all of a sudden started, they wanted to start talking about Power Girls cleavage, and so, you know, there was in Superman, Batman, I think I even remember the issue number, I think it was issue seven, which was a fill-in from Jay Lee or something, and some kid makes robots and he thinks power girl's hot and Superman's put out by him talking about it. And then there's the power girl origin where she reveals her cleavage because she doesn't know what kind of logo to have on her, her top ah, there. Yeah. I just, I just ripped that logo right off. And I'm just kind of like the, DC's not willing to seriously talk about any of this stuff. Whereas this guy's able to do it with just these little tweets and it's, um, it's out of left field because it's an it's a dark horse, presumably create create her own book. Nobody's ever heard of this Brian Glass guy. Um, Who's the artist on the book? By the Victor way, Victor Santos. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's got a cartoony style, but uh, it seems to get uh, regardless of the fact that he's got this cartoony style. He he he's successfully conveys the seriousness of the tone about the. 
I, I, I'm going to say, I'm not going to say split personality, but the, the multiple personalities of this woman who's uh, got issues from childhood and celebrityism and discovers being a superhero. And it just keeps throwing like these monkey wrenches from out of well, the left, you know, taking you a different path. And we have no idea where it's going next issue. This issue ends on a, uh, it doesn't really have a cliffhanger. It's got sort of a, a nasty moment of violence at the end, except when you get to the end of it, when you get to that scene, uh, the character reacts poorly. I'm not going to spoil it, but it was one of the things I was thinking about. The character reacts very poorly to how she is, uh, how someone reacts to a suggestion she makes. I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying to talk around the spoilers here. Right, and, it's all about perception. Yeah. And the thing is, my question is: you read the scene, and my thought is, what if the guy, or if the person had responded positively to her? Would have would the scene have played out in the way that uh, it's sort of you gotta you gotta read the book anyway. So right, you know, like, read the book and, be... and think about this. Like right. we have no idea where this character is at, and it's just really compelling because here she and one of the things we can talk about that doesn't spoil anything is is she's she's a vigilante. She's you know the first superhero in the uh, the reality of the book. And so the cops are all after her pretty much harder than, I guess you'd say, the cops were ever after Batman in uh, Dark Knight Returns or anything. I mean, they're just trying to they're just trying to kill her. It's crazy. Right, right. It's kind of funny because when, when, when you're Batman and you're DC, the bullets, occasionally a cop will shoot you, but the bullets always miss. But that's not necessarily the case with this character, you know, I mean. A, one of the one of the main uh, interesting things is she she has this unusual code name for herself, which doesn't catch on because of her attitude while she's doing her superhero meta human type activities, and she's given this nickname by the press, which I think pushes her even further into the deep end when it comes to kind of uh, accepting herself as like this superhero type of uh, model, as it were. She's always thwarted and it provides a lot of opportunity for the writer to take the book in a lot of different unusual directions right you're not quite sure what's going to happen you're not quite sure whether this girl is going to succeed whether she's going to fail is she even a sympathetic character at this point two issues in i'm not 100 percent sure. exactly yeah we don't know yet it's it's just crazy uh, it's crazy how he's able to do all this stuff yeah, uh, yeah it's 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 a nice uh, superhero book because it throws in a lot of psychological uh, uh, back and forth and split personality or multiple personality stuff. And uh, it, 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 we almost kind of wrote it off as kind of a novelty book. But I think you mentioned that it's it, it might necessarily be deeper than the writer maybe have intentions for. But in the second issue, it seems like he's got a whole lot going on in his head. Uh, and he's feeding it out to us bit by bit. Is this like a four-issue mini or a five-issue mini? I, I believe it, it. Let's see. Let's check Dark Horse's It can't be an ongoing, here. I don't think. I don't think it's an ongoing because I don't think anybody does ongoings anymore if they're intelligent. But You it's know, just a, let's see. Um, you know, Dark Horse does not call it a limited. Uh, let me see if they do that for other stuff. Um well, they were, uh, yeah, what, like Kiss Me Satan or... Uh, Vandroid, uh, I know, is a limited. Uh, they don't... 
They don't say apparently whether. Oh no, they actually have a tag on their covers. If it's a limited, they do have a one of five. And no, Furious okay. isn't ongoing. They're actually doing an ongoing. Well, I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm kind of curious because it, it, it's a nice superhero comic. It's a lot of psychological uh, stuff going on. Um, the artist, although he has a very contrary style to what you might think would work in a type of book like this, it still uh, conveys the violence and the, the psychological state of being of the character. And uh, it's been working really good. Two issues in, and uh, you, you basically want to read a third. So, uh, Yeah, you know, it... In some ways, it's it's about the most impressive thing that I've read lately as far as a new book. Now, have you read uh, Hawkeye 15 yet? I read Hawkeye 15. I yes, want to yes, and... Go ahead. I want to compare it to that a little bit in that... Well, now, Hawkeye 15, I, I we have not had a chance to talk about this, and I don't think my review of it has gone up yet. That's okay. We both read it. I mean, I, I, I thought it was a solid issue, except it's ultimately late. It has characters in it that have moved on, and it ends on a cliffhanger, which is not going to be resolved anytime soon. Well, my issue with it is is that we talked about this last episode when Hawkeye 16 came out, how great uh, Fraction is at writing Kate's adventures, and... Um, Reading Hawkeye 15, my thought is he's pretty much done with Clint Barton. He has nowhere to go with him. Uh, You can only make fun of his uh, Clint so many times, and then you're just sick of it. I mean, you're reading the book. Yeah, his incompetence is extraordinary. His his cluelessness and lack of intelligence and the fact that his brother Barney sits around and does a crossword puzzle the entire issue is kind of gets on your nerves. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, what did I say? I don't know. You know, you know, and it, let's do a book that I mean, the David Aja art's beautiful. You know, it's it's a good issue. It's fine, I guess. It's better than I anything Marvel's probably putting out. I would assume. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. It's not anywhere near as good as the Kate issues. Uh, it's not anywhere near as good as the annual. It's not anywhere as good as 16 because he's still working on a story that he started in I don't know issue six. How about Thanksgiving? Uh, <laughs> yeah, right, or whatever it was. Whenever yeah. it we're, happened, and well, and we're still working with this this assassin that's been out of the limelight for so long. And, oh yeah, and, that's been like five issues. Is, now, now in the annual that came out a couple of months ago, and it was done by Fraction and Aja. Did or did not Kate leave to go to California? Yes or no? And yet she's back. Is one of the protagonists. No, no, she's not. That's Jessica Drew at the end. She's not in the latest one. No, Kate's not in the latest one. Okay, all right. Um, I was, I was, I I missed her. Oh, so it's his ex-wife. The what her name? It's Spider Woman's in it. So there are three guest stars. It's uh, Mocking Jay shows up. She shows up to call him stupid. Then uh, Black Widow shows up to call him stupid. Then. Um. Then Spider Woman shows up to call him stupid, okay. and I'm just kind of like, I I get it. Clint's stupid. He's he's. We're supposed to laugh at him, but we're also supposed to like him. And it, the problem that Fraction has with that book is, it's unbelievable that Hawkeye can manage anything 
Like, I can't believe this guy could get a driver's license, much less be a superhero. And right. that's and not it, how the book started. That's no. not how the book started. Right. He started as a, what do you call that? A, a mentor in this apartment building he bought to stave off. You know, yeah. And now we're finding out. Yeah. We won't get into the spoilers, but yeah, that was, that was a pretty unimpressive issue. And so I feel like I'm hoping that furious is, is able to, if it's going to make it 15 issues, I'm hoping it's got energy. I'm hoping this guy's got an idea that's going to last that long because I think fractions ideas are all about how he and uh, Aja are in San Francisco. Well, they're doing a funky narrative, and I mean that's fine. Except, you know, the story's not good. Is the problem? And it would it'd probably be a lot more alleviated if we didn't have to wait like three months between issues. You know, two events that we know are already in the history or just something. You know. Okay, it, that's yeah. So, yeah. So it was kind of a mixed bag. I mean, uh, I don't know. You, you you try your best you can. It's still one of Marvel's better books. But that said, yeah, I think Marvel put out a couple of better books. Uh, of, of uh, what female characters uh, last couple of weeks with She-Hulk and Miss Marvel. I think yes, they did. Yeah, those are... Those. Yeah. So, we'll see. I mean, uh, it's kind of funny. I think we, we've, we've, we've talked back and forth about how, how many ways the Miss Marvel book could have gone wrong. Um, and it know, still like, can. We don't know where it's going yet. I mean, that's kind of the thing is, is that you can't really make any expectations on that series based on that first issue. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love just to have the promise of a first issue, just like go forever, but that's not how real comics work. But the fact that Ms. Marvel and uh, last week or the week before she Hulk were just absolutely great uh, or very good. I'll say first issues, you know, it's almost like it, it was a Charles Soule writing the she Hulk. It's almost like he went back and, read all of Dan Slott's She-Hulk and said, you know, we're just going to go right from the last issue of that right to <laughs> her story now, you know? Because you would, the humor involved is such that he hasn't even missed a beat, and Javier Polito's artwork is just, just cartoony enough to add a, a surreal humorousness to it, which works perfectly on the book. It's, it probably won't last more than 10 issues, but I always encourage people, go out there, buy it, and read it, and enjoy it while it lasts. That's my attitude about the Marvel stuff anyway, you know? Yeah. Um, um, let's see, what else came out? Uh, God, we, we're still bitching about the Miracle Man reprints around here. They're fun to read. Um, have you read all the Miracle Man stuff from Alan Moore yet? I read the Miracle Man from Alan Moore, but not the reprint version. I know they made some changes. Eh, color versions and stuff. I think mostly, though, they've been peppering out the uh, the the product with a lot of filler material, most notably English reprints from the 50s of the original Miracle Man stories, which really suck donkey dick. I'm oh, you, those awful. are real bad. Yeah. Um... Those are horrible. And it's kind of like Marvel's like, okay, we're going to make as much fucking money from this package as we can. The first issue was $5.99, and it only gives you the first... I'm going to say two chapters of the original Warrior magazine, and then it's packed out with reprints of English material from the 50s. That nobody wants got, to read, yeah. Nobody. And yet it's five ninety nine. And then the second issue came out, it was four ninety nine. And I'm like, well, you know, you're only getting, uh, what, 16, 18, 20 Ugh. pages. And, and yet it's peppered out. And, and you know, here's the fucked up thing. Excuse my French. 
Um, the first Miracle Man hardcover collection was solicited last month from Marvel at 157 pages for $29.99. And then I look and it says reprints Miracle Man issues one through four. And I'm oh. like, I'm like, well, 157 pages. I go, the, the material is going to cover less than half of that, I'm thinking, right? And then it's just going to have to be filled in with a bunch of bullshit. So I'm like, oh, man, I can't even order this for the shop because it's it's like volume one of, God, how many, how ways are they going to stretch this out to make money? That's not even going to cover the first story arc, is it? No, no. The first four Miracle Men's are just going to scratch the surface. You know what I mean? You're going to start suggesting that the Gargonza's, uh, is it Dr. Gargonza? Is yeah. That the fuck what his name was? Yeah. I mean, you're going to get into that. I mean, we're not even, we, we may not even get into the delicious Chuck Austin artwork by that point. Oh, thing, God. Yeah. No, you won't, actually. I, I think I do remember that. I think you'll just actually be getting into some of the Alan Davis with that. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's too bad because I think we – I don't know. I don't think we were podcasting uh, yet, but we, we had talked about this. And with Miracle Man, I had said that it was a real opportunity if Marvel wanted to uh, – try a digital first initiative. That'd be one thing they could do is a digital first with it. But another thing is everybody's complaining about this is we're going to have to wait. How many years before, uh, Neil Gaiman's going to finish up his miracle man. Uh, you know what? He's got a, he's got a year head start by the time these reprints finish up. I think it's, isn't, isn't something already drawn? Maybe there's scripts, I believe. I would imagine so. I, 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 Neil Gaiman supposedly didn't finish it, so he wanted to finish it. And I'm like, well, it, who, I forget who's illustrating. It's probably not Mark Buckingham. He says he's coming back. Yeah, Mark Buckingham's supposed to be coming back. I don't know. But I just yeah. feel like Marvel's really fumbling how they did this. I mean... They should have done, if they wanted to do their stupid hardcover release, they should have done that first. They should have done an absolute edition and screwed everybody out of money. Because now they're redrawing the famous birth of the Miracle Baby issue. So it's no Oh, no, really? It's not going to be explicit anymore. Well, the the covers even say T for Teen. And I wouldn't sell an issue of Miracle Man to a kid in grade school because it's just too dark. I mean, there's just too much violence you know yeah no the the birth issue which has a very graphic depiction of childbirth they're not doing that marvel's gonna you know do they're gonna avoid that oh, they're gonna avoid it and i'm like you know put it in the hardcover and charge me a premium make it worth my while because i'm gonna pay for it even with that terrible fucking chuck austin art but the well, way they're well, handling what? it it's well, just gonna I... make the well, original it... trades more valuable Right, exactly, because the original books just cut to the chase. They don't have all the bullshit. And don't get me wrong. I enjoy looking at some of the backfilling material, the original concept schedules, some printings of the uh, original pages, some input from the original writers and artists about it. But you know what? When it comes down to it, I just want to read Miracle Man. And that's and, and they're kind of fudging it by, I don't know, doling it out like, like it's uh, – uh, um, I don't know, uh, refugee packages to the Syrian people or something. I'm not quite sure what the deal is. But somebody in my shop mentioned a pretty good uh, 
reason for it is that Marvel will not be able to exploit Miracle Man after the comics form. They won't be able to develop him into a property. He'll never be in TV or movies or anything like that. Because Marvel probably doesn't control it other than the reprints, I'm thinking. I don't know. Wow, okay. I mean, I thought that was a pretty valid thing. He says, well, they're trying to make all the money they can because they really can't take Miracle Man anywhere. What could you do with Miracle Man? I mean, after you read it, uh, you might theoretically make it into a great movie, but then, then there's that whole new lawsuit shit going on. I mean, would you be able to develop this into a media property after all? And if so then you're really talking real money because all these 20 years we've been waiting for this to get reprinted. And the reason it didn't is because of legal hassles of copyright ownership. And I can only imagine when you start talking real money, developing it into a movie or television, then that just takes the whole miasma and just throws the mud on the wall and just right. makes it crawl. So Marvel can't exploit this property. So they're doing everything they can to make money on it in the meantime with these uh, puffed out, overextended reprints. But read it anyway, goddammit. I don't know. Okay, so what else have I read that's been... I've read some awful stuff, and we've been talking about this, and we'll, we'll touch on it a well, bit. The, the, the image the image phenomenon. I the think, image uh, phenomenon. The image... Uh, how do we want to put it? So now, image is... Image's second revolution, or whatever the hell it's going to be called, yeah. uh, where, you know, and it's been building a long time. This is something with a lot of momentum behind it. Um, Walking Dead probably has a lot to do with it. Well, yes and no. I mean, well, it, at it, least it, the momentum, at least the build yeah. up. The, the, and the I mean, fact that they can produce a comic that sells as well as anything from Marvel and DC. And now we're um, seeing. Oh, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, uh, we're seeing a, the image uh, explosion of titles because I- in some ways, in order to catch up with Marvel and DC in sales, you have to produce a huge amount of material just to compete on the racks. Now, image's advantage is they've got all these individual creators doing different books, so there's not this family of titles or your traditional merchandising model where you have a family of Batman or a family of X-Men that are exploited to 10, 12, 15 titles. All of these are individual titles. And let me tell you another little fact. I just did my numbers about two nights ago on February, and this is going to blow your mind, but as of February, and this is not a fair retail month because I'm in the Midwest and winter blows and we got a lot less customers, but I'm going to tell you one thing. Image titles have put out less titles and have made more dollars for me than DC this month. Wow. Yes, is the, how the mighty have fallen. And it, a lot of it is due to the fact that I promote Image as a more interesting company. But it, it comes with caveats, obviously. I mean, you and I are looking at some of the offerings from Image. And a lot of the problems we talk about uh, with editorial in comics are certainly coming to the forefront. Right. With, what, 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 here, here's a couple of the books. Was it Undertow? Not Undertow. 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 That was sea. awful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Mercenary Sea, which was, oh. well, you know, I, not I, I'm going to give, give a slight okay to Undertow. Not much, but just, I found Undertow semi-readable compared to Mercenary Sea. Okay. Really? I'm, yeah. I had the opposite. I'm more encouraged to go read a second issue of Undertow than I am Mercenary C, but both books could have used a much firmer editorial hand in them to sit there and say to the creators, listen, what you've got is the 
beginnings of something promising, but let's see if we can bust your chops and tweak it into something, just something better. Now, yeah, so I mean, we're seeing, and I'm making sure to read all the image number ones just in case so we don't miss anything, so I don't miss anything. God, I well, I, I'm trying. I haven't necessarily it's, done it, but it's tough, baby. <laughs> now, but there have been some other ones. Um, let's see. Well, if you, I were can... looking, you were looking at some dark horse properties that. Now, I was looking at some dark horse properties, but I, I, I want to be on a high note with Image and say, you know, Manifest Destiny is an awesome book. Right. Um. um yeah, what do you call? It? I found it. Uh, the, was it? Uh, shit. What's that one? Road something. Road. The noir crime one, uh, High Down Road. Uh, it's by um, Matteo Scalia and uh, who's the guy that did uh, Luther Strode? Justin Jordan. Really? All, I, somehow I missed all, this. Yeah, uh, something road, High Dirt Road or something. Now Justin Jordan suffers from some of the same Dead problems. Body Road. Yeah, Dead Body Road. Thank you, Andrew. Um, he suffers from some of the same problems. He's got like high concept, but he doesn't have enough details to keep it going for six issues. And he's kind of riding on Matteo Scalia's artwork. Yeah, um, three issues out, and the plot hasn't advanced that far with only three issues to go. And there's, like I say, there's there's a lot of really good stuff coming out of Image right now, and. Uh, God, you know, their books are getting ridiculously expensive on eBay. I think, was it Manifest Destiny? I saw the first four issues going for like 35 bucks. And I'm like, that's insane. And I'm, I'm like, I'm all about it. But what happens when a company like Image that doesn't have what you'd call a huge, tight editorial department, okay, tries to unleash enough books to compete with the two big boys? Right. And you, you get books like Mercenary Sea and Undertow. Now, let's take one at a time. Which one do you want to go with first? You like Mercenary Sea, right? No, I didn't, but I liked it more than Undertow. I hated Undertow. Go. Yeah, Undertow was such a mixed narrative bag. I, I wasn't sure. You know, the kind of funny thing is you, you get a pretty – they're both gorgeous visual packages. I mean, right. the colors and the artwork are, 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 are saturated with beautiful colors and stuff. But – um, the structure is such where in a book like Undertow and Undertow is about Atlantean society back at the beginning days of man when they're doubting whether being Atlanteans is what it's at and whether you should try to strive for a different type of life when they start uh, looking at advancements of natural art forms on Earth. And the narrative, you're not sure on that book whether the whether the writer knows what they're doing to write a script. Or the artist is not sure on how to interpretate a script right. visually. I, did you find a strength between the two to figure out which where the mistakes lie, or was it just me? Uh, you know, I yeah. So I, I'm unfortunately I'm remembering it very well right now, and so the issue is that the there's no like there's no like real script it's sort of like snippets of scenes and things like that and a lot of it's in summary and yeah the artist just is not doing that he's 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 doing these very big visuals he's not doing a god I don't he's know. not doing a, he's not doing a graphic narrative in the sense no of not at all there's no right. yeah you, you get a lot of like uh, it's really strange cuz you get a lot of individual panels that explain and show a lot but then they don't necessarily have to do with the next panel or the next page. 
and there's a lot of jumping around that you have to fill in the blanks for, and that annoys the shit out of me because you can do that sort of thing successfully if you know what you're doing. Right. And, and you when, get, when, yeah, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They don't know what they're doing. I, I'm not sure if the, the, the writer's script is a pain in the ass or the artist is more of an illustrational guy who should be doing covers as opposed right. to, you know, sequential narrative. Um, Mercenary C had uh, different problems, probably the first of which is the artist thinks that the whole book is like an animated cartoon. It's right. like a real detailed thing. And it's it's very stiff imagery, which is conceived of in a, um, I don't know, a detailed manner. But it, it looks like a Japanese high-end anime cartoon right. that just doesn't quite go anywhere. And you want to you see it as a cartoon, I guess. I wanted to watch it as a cartoon more than I wanted to read it as a comic book. Right. And the lack of original ideas didn't help it either. I, I don't know. I mean... Mercenary C, I think, was a, a composite of, like, every single stereotypical thing I think I've ever seen in, in, in you know, American films, uh, let alone the, what, what's that one, the Mark Millard Jupiter's Legacy, which never comes out anymore, which is very similar in some ways, you know. And I'm like, well, these are interesting books. You know, visually, they're very lush. I mean, it would be hard to find a Marvel or DC book that looks visually as as sweet as these two books but narratively they're both messes and they don't really do anything uh, uh to 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 catch my uh fire as it were you know so now with dark horse what we're seeing um bringing it back to furious is that dark horse is now flooding the market with a lot of a lot of material yeah and- for every- Furious and uh, Juice Squeezers, you got what? What did you read that this oh, week? Oh, God. Uh, uh, what, what this week? Uh, para. Para was unbearable. Is uh, it Para or Pariah? Pariah. I don't care. Does yeah, it matter? Yeah. Pariah. It's, it's Pariah. It looks like he's peeing with his lifeline on the cover. Yeah. And so Pariah. I read Vandroid, which was a li- which is all right. Vandroid's okay. It but it's just delaying, you know, it doesn't establish its story in the first issue. Um, what else have they done? That's not all there's been, but we, we, cause we've noticed this, the dark horse is now putting out, Oh, the white suits. That was a piece of crap. That was another one. Yeah. No, and they had really good luck with, uh, even though it wasn't perfect. I really liked Amala's blade, which was another one that was like a, a zero issue through four mini series right. and managed to tell a complete story. It wasn't perfect, but you know, I mean, they, they seem to either, hit the mark or miss completely at the dark horse. I think they need to, I think they need to get Victor Gishler under an exclusive contract is I think what they need to do. I think you're absolutely right. Because if you're going to, I, dark horse must feel horribly pressured by all of these stuff coming out of image with the market share. Now image isn't even competing with dark horse image is competing with IDW for that third slot. Right. Dark horse is still a couple of points down the line. So Dark Horse is trying to come up with all these original concept books. And inevitably, you'll have some successes and some misses. And again, there's that lack of editorial focus that dooms some of their offerings. Because when when someone comes up to you with these concepts and says, okay, I got a book. And you're like, okay, what about this book? If you've got a seasoned comic reader, and I'll call ourselves seasoned comic readers. Okay. You're going to sit there and be honest with the writer and artist and listen. It's promising, but you still need to work it into something that is marketable and whole and something that's going to grab people by the balls, you know. Um, 
as opposed to like Valiant, which seems to be running in place on a treadmill and not going anywhere. Yeah, Valiant's turning out to be very unfortunate. I We've talked about this a little. I'm not sure if we talked about it on the podcast, but when they had their first big Harbinger Wars crossover, it, you know, I made it through that, but it sort of killed all the momentum of Harbinger for me. Yeah, and I love that book. I thought it was the best super team metahuman book on the stands. Yeah. And, and, and that just took that, – that crossover shit mentality just took all the uh, – all the air out of it for me. And I just never, I never went back to Harbinger after that. I just said, you know, I'm done. I, I go, I can't, start yeah, I, I can't do it. Right. Um, if they're they're going to start imitating these uh, sales theories that Marvel and DC practice with crossovers and stuff. I'm like, I don't really want to read every freaking title on the Valiant line. Yeah. Especially the, the way they did that book. I mean, those crossovers were, Oh, like the they, the issues were side stories of the main arc or something. Yeah. And it was just like, okay, you guys are trying something a little bit different, but I still don't want to read this. Like you're asking you're asking me to spend, you know, $30 on this crossover event and you're not providing me with $30 worth of material. That's the scary thing, right? And and you start you know, if they'd emulated the old, uh, what was it, the old Secret Wars 2 style where I could buy four issues in a bag at my, uh, at my, God, they sold them everywhere. I don't know if you remember that from the early 80s. That's where I had all my Secret issue, uh, Secret Wars 2s. You bought four of them in a bag. You got, <laughs> I think, I think you got two issues of the regular series, two of the crossovers, and it was 250 or something. Oh my God, what, is it? what a steal. And so, you know, and it was the, the newsstand editions or whatever, so the comics weren't worth shit. But, you know, you at least got something for a couple bucks. As opposed to this, where I don't even, you know. So, yeah. So, Valiant's doing its own thing. Boom is doing a lot more now. Boom has pulled in Cullen Bunn to do one of their participant uh, titles where... Well, you don't you don't get copyright, but you get a piece of the action if they. Sell I guess it, that's what you get. You get a piece of the action. So, well, what come, what's come out of Boom? Can you remember any of the stuff that's come out of Boom lately? I mean, Dayman. Yeah, Dayman, we'll which you know is you know Brian Steelfreeze. You know he, he he's a wonderful artist. Guy is not motivated to do a monthly comic book whatsoever. Apparently, I'd settle for bi-monthly. Exactly. Him and J.H. Williams. You know, the second issue of Sandman still isn't out yet, and <sighs> I've heard that fucking question three million times. You know what? You get an artist, okay, who's really good, and you don't commit him to a, a freaking monthly title. It's it's the death now. I've had a hundred people ask me, "Hey, where's Sandman two? Or uh, you know, like, where's Dayman number three? And I listen to where's Dayman number two. And I'm like, well, you know, if, if you're not going to publish comics, either shit or get off the pot. Okay, because there's yeah. no way that you're going to get any momentum from people when you make them wait three, four, five months when you tell them. Okay, you, you got to be honest, okay? If it's coming out six times a year, if it's coming out four times a year, you got to say that right off the bat. There you go. Just, just say, hey, listen, this is coming out four times. It's all the time we have available, but God help us enjoy the ride. You know, right. and that would that would that would make fans not expect something and, and ask me all the time. And then you got what, what do we got nowadays? The editorial at DC has decided now. Check this out. And the latest, well, last month's previews and this month's previews, they're going to do a, a year long Batman weekly title. Okay, the House of Ideas, and then 
and then they're going to resurrect some of fucking Jim Lee's crappy old Wildstorm stuff for yet another weekly comic series, one of which I'm not even going to carry as a retailer. I'm going to say this is special order only. <sighs> I'll, I'll do the Batman for a month or two because it's freaking Batman, and they got all the big names on Batman. But I'm like, are we trying to dig ourselves a hole even faster to just dig a grave and throw the dirt in on top of us? Because I'm not understanding what DC is doing to make them a viable comic book company. They just seem to be like taking steps to go further into the realm of Hades every, every month as we go along. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, like, when, when image overtakes you and has less books and makes me more money, you, you got to wake up and smell the coffee. That's just all there is about it. You know? I mean, and we're getting, and we, I don't know if we've talked about this um, directly, but we're getting to the point where nothing remotely interesting is coming out of Vertigo anymore. Uh, yeah, they're 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 in jack shit. I mean, everything they've uh, released so far. You know, I will tell you about one that's interested me, and that's Dead Boy Detectives. It's an offshoot yeah. from the Gaiman book, uh, and it's interesting. But is it ever going to amount to anything? I doubt it. It's just like for those Vertigo people who dig those weird stories about two right. Dead Boy Detectives. Who are Sandman creatures, right? Or whatever it is. Offshoots and, from the Sandman series. Or is it Books of Magic? I forget. I can't remember. I think it was Sandman. Yeah, and I mean, Ed Brubaker did a series of that a long time ago. And that was... I can't remember. I don't think it worked out in the end. Because, you know, it just didn't lend itself very well to a four-issue series. And I've been liking Trillium. Which I know that you weren't aren't particularly on board with. And even that's running into problems that... Jeff Lemire does not have eight issues of story, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's got a concept, but he's not quite sure what to do with it. And he likes to introduce all these, like, aesthetic little artist tricks, which are yeah. interesting and, and unique. But, they, again, if you're going to sit here and talk about the aesthetics of comics, they're not necessarily uh, necessary and don't add to the type of story or atmosphere he's trying to tell. Exactly. Um. And, and that, you know, and I guess we should try to continue on. And there's a, a subject I wanted to uh, touch upon with our, our podcast members is that Andrew and I come from different backgrounds. I mean, obviously, we both grew up liking comics. Um, Andrew is more of a writer and he approaches it with more of a writer background where I'm more of a visual artist type of guy. So I'm easily impressed with, uh, uh, you know, nice imagery. But um what it comes down to is what does it take to make a good comic? And um, if you're a, there's just so much material available out there. All I can say is from a, um, a visual output, you're looking for an artist that's original, consistent, can draw characters consistently, and most but not least, have an idea of how to do sequential storytelling, how to interpret an artist's script in a sequential manner that makes sense, advances the story, is able to enunciate on the dramatic points of the story, and deliver a a visual package which grabs the reader and makes him want more. And how do you look at it from a writing uh, background when you're looking at a comic anyway? Well, a comic, you know... One of the things that I'm always commenting on, uh, particularly with, say, 80s comics, probably 70s, is that you'll have writers who will manage to get the traditional three-act uh, narrative structure into a into a 22- or 24-page story, which is really cool. Um, Doug Monk, 
was able to get um, sometimes he'd have a backup, so he'd get that into a 16-page story. Does that make the comic good? No, but it does show that he's thinking about how his script works uh, as the issue. And now the problem is, uh, of course, I, you know, I don't even hear the phrase very much anymore, but the the writing for the trade where you'll have a issue of a comic where it's a, the entire thing is one action scene. Bendis, of course, was famous for this on Ultimate Spider-Man. And there's no narrative thrust to it. You know, you don't really care what's going to happen. That's sometimes okay. Uh, Well, that in itself would only be okay if you had a really good artist. But, and then the whole concept of uh, the one, the the phrases that I've been coming out that I credit to myself is the bridging issue where you get into an issue in the miniseries. Usually it's usually the third issue where the guy knows where we know where we're getting, we're, putting all the characters in place for the big finale. And that's all we're doing. It's, it's a treading water issue and something like, say, let's take furious two, for example, cause you know, we just read it. It does have a three act structure, uh, that the, the plot of it, what's going to, all the narrative pieces aren't revealed to us at the beginning. There's, you don't know at the beginning of Furious 2 that the big thing is going to be her showdown with this cop who's, who decides to kill her, right? You or don't makes even a, know that. Uh, makes a bad decision during an operation, as Right. Were. You don't even know that she's, you know, that's going to come up. So Glass has to, he, he has the time to work through all of that. Um, that's really cool. The Bruce Jones Hulks that I'm reading. Those actually have some really interesting, um, his writing is really interesting on it. It's not, I can see why it's not popular. I mean, it's very self-indulgent. I think what you need with a good script is you need a writer who's very self-indulgent and good because, you know, somebody who's just writing for his editor, he's writing for the brand. That's not particularly interesting. If the artist is good enough, you know, then it's okay. Like we'll always read a Darwin cook comic, regardless of who writes it. Um, you know, Paul Pope, but he writes his own stuff. Um, but it's not comics now, especially now are not paced out like they used to be in say the eighties or even the nineties that you had a familiar cast. You had all the a plots and B plots and C plots. And so, you go back and you read a uh, 80s Spider-Man comic and there's all this drama regarding Aunt May's tenants, I don't know, life insurance policy, some old guy who lives <laughs> hey, like there. sagging boobs or something. You know, like and that's just not there anymore because the way that the art is, is paced out, we don't have... You know, comics don't take as long to read. There's the whole thing of how long a comic takes to read based on how many words are in it. And, you know, how long does it take to read an old Stanley Spider-Man comic? You're dedicating 15, 20 minutes sometimes. You know, you're not dedicating Nowadays, that anymore. Nowadays, five you're dedicating to, five to eight. 
yeah. nowadays, you know, it's not it's not a what it's not a shit length. Nowadays, you know, it's reading it yeah, on you your phone while you're pissing yeah. at the at the <laughs> you know bus stop or something. I mean, waiting for yeah, it, it, we've gone from number two to number one in how long it takes to read a comic, and it, that yeah. comes up. I mean, there have been times you and I have talked about it where you can read a comic in three minutes and not miss anything. Yeah, a Mark yeah, Bagley Ultimate Spider Man or something, you can read that in three minutes. Right, right. Yeah. And, but you know, it, it, it's the quality of the three minutes. I, you, you know what, you can read that's a comic true. In three minutes as as long as the artist and the writer you know, okay, yeah. some patico about their aims and they understand one another and they know where each other's trying to go. Uh, versus a narrative mess like Undertow, where you're not even sure if the writer and artist communicate with each other at all. I mean, it's just, uh, you can, uh, the most successful um, comics are a very good blend of a story and a, stru- and a structure. You know, the, the, I'd say that, like the structure is the most important thing that's lacking in a lot of books because an editorial or an editor does not impose a type of structure, no matter what it is, on the writer. And then the artist seems to be secondary as long as he gets the work in on time and it's attractive. Um, but we still find lengthy comic books. I mean, this book, Furious, we're pushing this week. This is not a five-minute read. In fact, this is a book that you'll read probably at least more than once because you want to grab all the moments and try to put them together in a little more tight continuity, you know. Um, and it's not – and I guess that's – one of the good comparisons of it to Hawkeye is you can't, we can't do that with Hawkeye yet. I think I, we talked about this at issue seven or eight that fractions, you know, the way he's messed up the timeline in Hawkeye, it's, it's never going to make any sense until you get done with it and you sort of tear up all the freaking comics and you put it in an order that makes sense. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If, If there's, if there's a thing called waiting for the trade, it would certainly be fit for Hawkeye, which is sad because the book itself will never sell fast enough to make all the issues in the trade paperbacks eventually, you know? So uh, yeah, go ahead. What's really interesting now that we're talking about this is that I'm, I'm right now I'm reading uh Will Eisner's comics and sequential art. Great book. Great book. And sort of a required book for a lot of things because, you know, he's talking about, He's able to look at how these things work, and uh, he's a, he uses uh, mostly um, examples from his own work so far. Uh, but just the way he talks about how um, the flow of the comic book and how, the requirements of the reader, and he's got this great. Uh, I just got to the part where he talks about words without or images without words. So the silent comic book to which he says it's harder to do than a comic book with words. Right. It, it would Successfully. I agree. Um, yeah. No one would, uh, Will Eisner set the standards for sequential art. And if you are trying to find uh, someone, I think that it should be required reading is to go back and read, oh, I don't know, uh, a year's worth of post-war spirit stories by Will Eisner that are seven pages apiece. And work from there and say, wow, here is structure, here is point A, here is point B. All the panels, all the direction fit together in a flawless whole to add up to a story that has a beginning and an end. 
in seven yeah. pages. In seven pages. And now he actually touches on, I'm just, I'm just paging through the book here. And he actually touches on what we were just talking about, about dialogue. And he says that, um, he calls it framing. He talks about it in his framing time section that the dialogue is the way that the comic book creators are able to sort of control the time with which one reads their comic book. So then when you take into account something like, I'm, I'm guessing here, it's maybe the 13th or 14th issue of Ultimate Spider-Man. It's, a, it's an issue-long fight with the Green Goblin. I don't, even think it, I don't even think it's the one where uh, Mary Jane almost dies. I don't even think it's the Gwen Stacy uh, thing. Bendis is creating a pace that nobody has to slow down for. As soon as you see the image, you understand it, you move on to the next one. So the intention is, yes, you paid $3 for this three-minute scene sequence of images, which is, you know, or he's responsible for that, even if he's not thinking about it. I, I, I would certainly hope well, there Bendis... You go. There you go. The responsibility for putting it together a 22 or 20 page story. Right. You know, regardless of the intention, there's a responsibility taken on by somebody doing this that, you know, your readers are going to understand the medium you're working in. And, you know, it's, I mean, that's sort of, I feel like why, um, it's easier to get, um, dismissive or disgusted with a, a bad comic than it is with something else is because for $3, uh, a few years, what are we up to? What's the average now? Four. Uh, it's almost four now. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, for $3, the reader has an expectation of a certain amount of amusement and which wasn't there when books were 75 cents or a buck and a quarter. Exactly. And and that's what the sad thing is, is that you had more content when they were 75 cents or a buck. That's it, right. I mean, Secret Wars 2 is a terrible freaking comic book. It is so shitty. About, right. But there was a discipline from every single issue that you get from point A to point B. Jim Shooter wanted to write shitty dialogue for people to read. He thought they were going to like it. He thought he was doing a good job. You know, and he, he didn't trust anybody else to write this piece of shit that is Secret Wars 2 that takes like 10 or 12 minutes to read a comic, maybe even more. And it's and, awful. And was, and, right. And he was changing dialogue and situations right down to the last minute. And it was right terrible, but crazy. it took time yeah. to read and it was worth your 75 cents. And now we're to the point where, you know, for $4 and you <laughs> liked this book. And I would, yes, recommend it to Jeff Darrow fans, but not to, like, somebody off the street. <laughs> Shaolin Cowboy 2, where it's him spinning around, hitting zombies. For 20 pages. On For 20 pages at $4. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we, we, we could go, remember we talked about the other one. I mean, you and I are both uh, Garth Ennis uh uh, well, we used to be big Garth Ennis fans. Now we're less so. But his new book for Avatar, Red Rover Charlie, about three dogs right. after the apocalypse. You know, and it, it's sad because it's a semi-successful story. I love it, but... Right. But who the fuck is going to pay three ninety nine for a dog story that goes from uh, one or two scenes per issue? Four bucks is a lot for three dogs. Oh, he has, he has more than... I. You know, his pacing on it's not bad. The last one is the first one where he had... 
only a couple scenes and the art, the art's really pretty. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a very strange book because it has very pretty art. Well, I think it's I, – I, I forget the artist's name and forgive me, but he knows how to draw dogs. Yeah. He knows how to draw dogs with big brown eyes that just melt into your soul. It looks like, – I mean the book looks like a terrible painting you would see at somebody's house. You know, yeah, it's not even dogs are, playing poker. It's like yeah, this yeah, yeah, awful just, fucking yeah. dog painting of like their favorite dog <laughs> they ever had. And they'd be like, look at – Muffy in this pic in this painting isn't it beautiful i paid you know a thousand dollars for it yeah and it's just this fucking dog and so it's a comic about that with zombies and oh well hold on now the last yeah and you got dialogue between dogs like oh i don't know the cats are smart we don't know if we can outwit the cats and he goes what do you mean he goes well cats have always been smarter than dogs and there's an argument between the three dogs about why cats are actually smarter than right and it's little moments like that that actually work, but are they sustainable enough for some Joe average to pay three ninety nine? Exactly. Yeah. And of course, of course, Avatar's been shoveling us Garth Ennis shit for years. You'd think that when they finally had a good Garth Ennis comic, they would have just been like, "Here, it's free." Actually, yeah. it, it makes up for <laughs> Stitched. It makes up for. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, what was what did I mean? I don't know. Well, I think that yeah. this, you know, Garth Ennis is going to go. I mean, Crossed was great. His first twelve issues of Crossed are fucking fabulous. I think it was eight, but then we'll go with twelve. Yes, whatever it was, eight. Okay, yeah. they were fabulous, and that's the last fabulous thing he's done. And he's done some really shitty stuff in between. Yeah, Jennifer Blood. Oh. Oh, that, but Jennifer Blood, notwithstanding, is where we were introduced to Al Ewing, believe it or not, who filled really? in. Really? Wow. He's got, he's got four or six issues that fall in after him, which Ugh. got a lot of guys crazy. But then he only did six issues. And I'm like, well, God, if they had a trade of those six issues, I might read it just for Al Ewing's writing. You know what I mean? But, uh, again, stressing narrative, we don't have to have uh, War and Peace in a twenty or thirty-two page comic for you shouldn't have War and Peace in a twenty or thirty page comic. You can go back and you can look at oh god, you know, the the dark uh, the gold key adaptations where they try to fit shit into like twenty two pages and it's just terrible. Yeah, um yeah. yeah, I mean you need an artist who's competent enough to do small scenes too. Uh, like not just not just quiet scenes or like talking head scenes, but like a small scene where it takes half the page. Steve Ditko could do a scene in, you know, the top half of a page. And by the second half, you'd be onto something else. And so the comic moved, it felt full and you don't have that anymore. Right. I was looking at an old Steve Ditko, uh, believe it or not, Micronauts annual. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh God! Okay, it's a little thicker than your average comic book, but you know what? For for twenty eight or thirty odd pages, I was just totally enraptured with the world of Micronauts because Steve Ditko, even with his jaded attitude at probably fifty plus years old at the time this comic was produced, still could produce a comic that I could get through for thirty odd pages about a toy line. Type, right, and. You know? 
So, uh, yeah, I had this similar experience with his Indiana Jones is that he did like six or eight issues of the further adventures of Indiana Jones. And I think some of the problem is with DC, the problem is, you know, they want Marvel money. Now God knows what their problem is, but you know, they wanted Marvel money and they didn't know how to get it. And so they tried all this shit and they, all the exclusives, whatever the last 15 years. But with Marvel, the problem I feel is that, what made a Marvel comic was the, the 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 sort of Marvel style where the guys would get the script or they would get a plot outline. They would draw the script and then it was up to the writer and the letterer to figure out how the fuck the comic was going to actually read. Right. They would look at it. The Marvel house style dictated that they would look at 20, 20 finished pages of art and impose the story that they had given to the artist and make it work. And what's terrifying is, is that, yeah, you've got a bored-ass Steve Ditko could give a shit about Indiana Jones or Micronauts or anything else. Anything, You know, I mean, okay, admittedly it was the 80s, so he was probably like a happy boy when Reagan was president, but... Sorry, everybody. Uh, A little bit of of Steve Ditko politics there, but anyway... um, Yeah, he could take that and he could find all these great moments in these stories that deserved a scene and then the writer would be stuck putting one in. Whereas now, oh God, I mean, you know. I can't even bring myself to read the latest issue of Green Lantern. It's, <laughs> I'm like, you just you just know that it's going to be utter tripe going in and leaving, you know. And, and, and if there's one thing I want to impose upon anybody listening to our podcast tonight is to pay attention to these subtle things that go on in a comic book. They're not hard to pick up on. And it's just that, hey, is the writer doing his job, providing a story that fits? Is the artist doing their job, depicting a story in a manner that grabs you and, and brings you along with the narrative? And these are important things that, which aren't generally discussed when you're talking about comic books, especially like we look at online reviews and 90% of them suck because they're written by people who really don't have any idea about what the mechanics of comic books are. Uh, They're easily impressed by, oh, just simple, stupid gimmicks. And whether or not this comic has made your 10 minutes of your life worthy of reading it or not, you know, because 10 minutes is not a lot of time, but a comic can make an impression. All of our fans out there know that a good comic touches your heart and your mind. And uh, ultimately, that's the criticism. You know, whether the writer and artist are able to do their job in a confident manner, which makes you want to come back and read that next issue. I think that's the most important, successful thing. Now, uh, I think we're, we're winding up. But I do want to throw in, I want to throw in one more recommendation that's going to make you roll your eyes. (laughs) Star Trek from IDW number 30. Oh my God, it's an internet sensation. Star Trek 29 and 30 are, um, yeah, I I read this book because it had a high concept at the beginning. It was going to be the original episodes retold in the new universe or whatever the hell they're calling it. The Abrams verse. 
And yeah. so, you know, it as a Star Trek original series fan, it has a lot of um, – it's interesting to see how they do it, just um, how the updates work. But 29 and 30 is pretty much an original story, I assume. And it it, it's, go ahead, I'm sorry. I don't. Well, it deals with the uh, characters' gender. They they encounter an alternate universe where the genders have been switched, and you know, it's, I I recommend it. I recommend that book highly. I think that uh, I think those two issues are. It helps that the art is better on fifty percent of the comic than that poor series usually has. But just the story. The guy, uh, the the writer, finds some really interesting observations to make about Star Trek, and it works out really nice. What a gentleman came into my shop today, as a matter of fact, he saw an article in the Chicago Tribune about that. Really? Yeah, and I noticed that my two customers that are subscribers that get Star Trek, and I'm 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 passing them the time. Go, what the fuck happened to Kirk here? And they're like, well, Kirk has changed genders for this storyline. Everybody's like an opposite gender. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, so that means he goes to planets that are populated by attractive men that he gets to sleep with. Or she gets to sleep with anyway. I was I was really uh, thrown out by that premise. You know, and it, it, it certainly and, and again, this this goes back to what Andrew and I are talking about, about a writer introducing um ideas to give blood and interest to a, a, a what would considerably be a moribund concept by now. I would yeah. I mean, God knows how many fucking Star Trek comics there have been. Hey, Two, three hundred. Yeah, not hey, including hey, the hey. D- gold key. Uh, and I know you're wading your way through those God awful Indiana Jones comics. I'm done with the Indiana Jones. I am done. I'm, uh, <laughs> you know what? The dark horses, I was going to do them. I was going to do them cause Bill Mesner Loeb's wrote the first one. And I was like, yeah. Oh, I'll try it out. But you know, I forgot, I forgot how shitty dark horse licensed material really is. And I, oh. I, I, I should have known because I read, uh, I read those RoboCop miniseries they did. I I did that a few years ago and those sucked. So yeah, those are that's just cranked out shit to to, to, uh, to fill out licensed cheap comics, I think. Uh, more yeah. I mean that's kind of the thing is and I think we're seeing a we're seeing a change with it now. Um really almost spearheaded by boom with uh what is it? Uh it started with the Planet of the Apes ones that uh Gabriel Hardman and oh crap I can't remember what her name is uh I can like see the last name but I can't I can't remember what her name is Gabriel Hardman and his co-writer they did a um a bunch of Planet of the Apes series and now we've got the well the RoboCop uh last stands only good because of the art but I mean the art makes it work but I think we're finally seeing uh, people doing licensed properties because they're fans of the licensed property. Yeah, yeah. As yeah, opposed yeah. to uh, even John Burns doing the Fumetti style Star Treks because he wants to, right? Uh, like, whatever. Jesus, I'm not going to read them, but I'm just saying he's doing it because he wants to. As opposed to, you know, poor fucking Dark Horse in, you know, the early 90s when, you know, they're just throwing the. Stephen Grant wrote all of them. Yep, yep. He, Stephen Grant was their go-to guy back in the day. I remember that. 
And I mean, just shitty art and it's just not interesting. I think we're at least, we're finally hitting the point where fans of licensed property are doing the, the titles sometimes, well, not a hundred percent of the and, time, sometimes. And they probably make less money than the old season pros that did Indiana Jones. Probably. I mean, it's hard to imagine, you're right. It's hard to imagine the person who wrote that decent script for Star Trek uh, making as much money as, say, David Michelin did during the old Indiana Fuck Jones. No, he probably didn't. They're probably yeah. like, <laughs> well, so David Michelin, he did a good job with it. But I think that that's, that's kind of why I'm a l- surprised in my disappointment at the um, Dark Horse Indiana Jones is because it, it's something that there was probably a lot of enthusiasm for. Uh, from the writer at the time in the in the eighties on further adventures, you know, you were an Indiana Jones fan from the George Lucas fan, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like you like the time period. There's so much you can do with it, and David Michelini did. He wrote some really cool stuff in that series, actually. But you know, by the time the Dark Horse adaptions passed, the moment had passed. The moment had passed, and you were just turning it out because you know. Hey, Dave Dorman needed work doing those covers. I bet Dave Dorman got paid more for those covers than the interior I, artist did. You know, yeah, he's a high level illustrator. He wasn't paid dog meat for those. No, right? so well, I, you know, and and then I could just stress that. I mean, I, basically, if there's one thing to learn from this podcast that we've done tonight is pay attention. Look, I mean, you can enjoy your comics and read them sometimes, but look at what makes them tick. And and read them a second time and discover for yourself what things things work for you and what things do not work for you, you know, and make and, aesthetic decisions about what you decision, buy. Right. Because it's going to inform what you can then go back and, and find. Um, exactly. Exactly. I mean, we're, we're both Andrew and I are semi excited about this image slash dark horse slash boom explosion. But unless it's geared or guided by an editorial direction that will keep it disciplined enough to provide quality comics, it could be for naught. But I'm still excited about Image taking over DC's dollar shop amounts at my shop. And there's promise for the future, but they've got to do it with uh, discipline and aesthetics, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, this move with Image, not just at Vernon's shop, but sort of in in the world that Image is catching on. And, you know, it. I would say it is the it is the Walking Dead halo effect, if we want to call it something. Um, well, you know, all these writers who bust their chops and learn their learn their craft at Marvel and DC are certainly invited to try their own concepts at Image provided that someone gives them a guiding hand telling them whether the concepts are worth the time. That's true. But I think that this is kind of where the industry needs to go. Um, Yes. With independent comics, you know, doing it and Marvel and DC, the truth is, is that their dollar in the comic from the comic book shop is not going to, it, 
if they if they're if they're saying it matters, they're lying because it doesn't. You know, Marvel makes more licensing Spider-Man on the back underwear than they do to, from comic books. It's right. they make more from their movies. They make more from this. They make more from the advertising on Agents of Shield, probably. Right. The comic books are the um, uh, catalyst, but that's it. That's it. And that's so. It you know you want to find a comic that the point of it is the comic and you can always tell that because if it reads like you know a fucking movie the guy probably and Boom was the biggest offender for this man the first two or three years of Boom you were just like oh look it's another movie property and you could you could see it uh, Two Guns the movie with uh, yeah. Mark Wahlberg was one of their first one of their first um, it's releases. It's and pitch. you're just like, oh, it's a, it's it's the movie pitch. Yeah, well, they're yeah. they're all like that. I mean, uh, what did I what did I watch the other day with my friends? R.I.P.D. The Dark Horse film. Oh God! And, and, and you know what? Despite all of its hassles, uh, Ryan Reynolds did okay. And I'm 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 of the belief that Jeff Bridges has ceased to act and has decided to be the dude in all of his films now. <laughs> Hey, if they're going to pay him at this point, that guy never got, you know, that is the funny thing about Jeff Bridges and we'll, we'll veer into, you know, just pop culture here for a second. That guy spent five or six years trying to be the new, trying to be Harrison Ford. Cause it just didn't make any sense that he wasn't doing Harrison Ford movies. And there was blown away in, I think 94. And that was just like Jeff Bridges is Harrison Ford. Like, and now yeah. Harrison Ford can't get a fucking, you know, good role to save his life and, and Jeff, yeah, Bridges Jeff Bridges can do whatever can the fuck he wants. Open, right. Jeff Bridges can walk onto the set of RIPD and, and ignore the script and just be the dude and it works. Cash himself a paycheck, you know, and That's it's like... Right. Well, anyway, we we do want to we don't want to get too far off. The yeah, we've path, we've right? gone uh, thirty minutes over at this point. No, we haven't. Oh, we've gone. Uh, we've gone. Yeah. We have. We've almost gone thirty minutes over. This was going to be a quick episode, everybody, and we're going to do another episode in a couple weeks yeah, with C two E two development. So maybe yeah. we won't do that. We, we'll do right. something. Maybe well, a fifteen minute update yeah. with C two E two updates. Exactly. We'll keep it minimal. We'll talk comics, but in the meantime, don't forget to pick up that copy of Furious. Furious uh, number two and book. number one. Yeah, and number one. Beat your comic store clerk for those books if he doesn't yes. have them. Um, I think that's it. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, we love you all, and we just want you to read good comics. That's the point of why we do this. All right, everybody. Good night. Good night, kids. See you next time around. Bye. <laughs>